Good morning, good day, uh, people. Come on. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 34 of the Anna Quiet Podcast. Once again, my name is Johnny Firecloud, here to take you through some action of the day. I, you ever realize that something you loved intensely for most of your life is actually really fucked up? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's the case quite a bit over the course of the last generation, uh, especially down south, where the Confederate flag's finally getting its rightful place in history is the the flag of racist traitors who lost the civil war but um you know that's that's not sitting so well with the the troglodyte america mouth breathers whose uh whose family tree is maybe three total branches you know but uh but i digress um i'm getting ahead of myself here i'm actually i'm talking about music uh not silly flags specifically the rolling stones classic brown sugar now, you know, and I know brown sugar for the timeless gem that it is. It's been everywhere forever for all of my life. I've heard it everywhere. It's the the template for about 75% of Eagles of Death Metal songs, too. But in truth, it's a really fucked up song. Uh, it's about slavery. It's about underage interracial sex and, and beyond. It was originally called Black Pussy, but apparently <laughs> Mick Jagger thought that was a little bit too on the nose, so it became Brown Sugar. And uh, I randomly checked out the lyrics yesterday, and Jesus Christ, the words tell the tale of slaves from Africa who were sold in New Orleans and then beaten and raped by their white masters. And the way the song is structured, it comes off as this, you know, fun rocker about a white guy having sex with a black girl. And uh, given Mick Jagger's affinity for dating black women in history, that's that's the general implication, um, provided you're not in the heroin world and equating it with that that poison. But the first verse lays it all out. It, it gives a context to the chorus that comes off entirely different than you may have initially taken it, than I sure as hell took it. Uh, Gold Coast slave ship bound for cotton fields, sold in the market down in New Orleans, Scarred old slaver knows he's doing all right, or is it Sky Dog Slaver? We'll get to, we'll get to that. Hear him whip the women just around midnight. Brown sugar, how come you taste so good? Brown sugar, just like a young girl should. And I'm gonna read the next verse. I won't go through the whole thing. Drums beating cold, English blood runs hot. Lady of the house, wondering when it's gonna stop. Houseboy knows that he's doing all right. You should have heard him just around midnight. Brown sugar, how come you taste so good? Young girls should. How come you dance so good just like a black girl should? And uh, it doesn't get better <laughs> from from there. That's when you look at it through the proper context instead of just listening to the groove and you know getting to the chorus because that's where everybody lets loose. It's a really fucked up song, especially for one as popular as it is. So Mick Jagger apparently wrote the song in Australia in the middle of a field. He was, uh, he was doing a movie called Ned Kelly and his hand had gotten damaged in one of the action scenes that they were filming. And he was trying to rehabilitate it. He had this new kind of electric guitar. He was in the middle of a field with headphones on, uh, which was a, a new technology at the time apparently. And this song came out of it, or at least the, the skeleton of it. He'd written the chords and the melody, but d didn't really come up with the lyrics until the day it was recorded at uh, Muscle Shoals Sound Studio in Alabama. This was during sessions in early December of 1969. It was December 2 through 4. Um, those sessions also produced uh, two tracks, one of which everybody knows, Wild Horses and You Gotta Move. I think Wild Horses is one of the most covered tracks in the history of the world. Uh, the Sundays covered it. You should definitely check that out. That's a phenomenal cover. 
might be better than the original if I can be so blasphemous. But as for the lyrics, yeah, Jagger, um, the story goes that he sat down with one of those green steno pads and filled up three pages, took him 45 minutes, and then he stood up and sang. It was, uh, it was by all accounts, unbelievable, according to the stories they tell. But two days later, on December 6th, my birthday, they performed the song live for the first time at uh, their fateful Altamont concert at the Altamont Speedway. It's where the Hells Angels were um, hired us on hired on as security guards and they stabbed people and she got really bad. Uh, one fan was stabbed to death uh, by one of the Hells Angels and it was quite a terrible end cap to an otherwise really positive session. Um, so I was talking about uh, Sky Dog Slaver, that, that first scarred old slaver, the, the first line or two um, in the song where I was talking about things being misheard. Keith Richards has a book uh, called Life, his autobiography, and in it there's a quote from session pianist Jim Dickinson where he says that that opening part um, says Sky Dog Slaver or Scarred Old Slaver. Um, Sky Dog was what they used to call Dwayne Allman at Muscle Shoals because he was high all the time. And uh, <laughs> that makes sense. You know, uh, Jagger apparently heard somebody say it and he thought it was cool, so he used the, the term. But when you read the lyrics, um, you know, that doesn't change the end result too much, no matter what you want to call it. Scarred old slaver, sky dog, so whatever the word. This, the word slaver is still there, and he's singing about whipping women just about midnight. So that takes it as far as you need to go, you know. Um, but But getting away from the message of that, real quick, for the longest time, I thought the track was about Mary Clayton. Like I said, I've been in love with this song, and you know, you hear things from friends who tell you stories that are embellished and so on. And somebody told me that uh, Mary Clayton um, is who it was about. She's the girl who sings on uh, "Gimme Shelter." She kicks the shit out of her backup vocal in that. It's she's got that like her voice cracks at one point um, at just the right point. There's stories about that too, where she didn't know had no idea what she was stepping into and was terrified, and like that came out in her voice. Whatever the case is, pure fucking magic. It's incredible. But uh, according to the former Stones guitarist Bill Wyman, it was uh, the the track was actually partially inspired or wholly inspired by a backup singer named Claudia Lanier. Um, she was one of Ike Turner's Ikeettes, and she and Jagger met when uh, the Stones toured with with Ike in uh, 1969. So the timing would line up pretty well, and. Um, just to give you an impression of this girl, uh, David Bowie also supposedly wrote his um, his track on Aladdin Sane called Lady Grinning Soul about her, about this girl, Claudia Lanier. So you can imagine that she was one hell of a firecracker. Uh, it, have yourself a have yourself a little Google and you'll see what I mean. She's she's got the sauce for sure, or uh, at least she did 50 years ago. You know, half a century can can wear out a person. Who knows? Maybe she holds up. I haven't seen. But doesn't matter. Uh, whatever the case, she was an inspiration for two um, pretty badass songs. Uh, that track was recorded in January of 1973. It was uh, it was the last song written for, recorded for on um, Aladdin Sane. So um, yeah, little little factoid there for Bowie fans. He never performed that song live, ever, which is kind of uh, kind of crazy, kind of sad. That would have been really cool to see live. But anyway, um, there's a bootleg version of Brown Sugar that has Eric Clapton playing lead slide guitar. 
it was uh, it was said to have been recorded at a birthday party for Keith Richards. You heard it in the very beginning, um, part of it anyway, and it's it's widely considered to have been something of an informal audition by Clapton to become uh, the Stones' second guitarist. So. If you listen to it with those ears, you can kind of see why through this version, even though I love it, the slide guitar sounds awesome, especially knowing that that's Clapton doing that. Uh, you can kind of see why Clapton didn't get or take the job. Um, he plays, you know, all over the place in a good way. He's playing a million notes a minute, but um, that lead has very little interaction with the rest of the band. It's um, it's almost like a studio musician just playing along with the with the something that's already been recorded i don't know um you know and and there's been a lot of interviews where keith richards has spoken admirably of of clapton's musicianship there's no bad blood or anything they're friends um but he's always said that the the two guitar sound between he and ron wood um that's not it's not really eric's path that's not his jam so um yeah, I don't know. I've I've been fucked up by that because Brown Sugars, that's one of those classic jams you love, you know, and I've I've came back to it ever since I had that matrix awakening of of the fact that Eagles of Death Metal that Jesse Hughes has built most of the riffs or most of the songs from uh, Eagles of Death Metal off of that very song, off that chord progression, the sound, that that the clean guitar and so on. Um it's kinda wild, man. It's kind of wild. Uh, I don't know if I've said incredible once this this whole time. I was listening back to the the detour episode. That was the last episode from when I was up in Detour Village. I said incredible maybe 27, 28 fucking times. <laughs> I think wild might be the the word this time around. But um, yeah, I uh, I, I saw sorry to bother you last night. Um, I wasn't I wasn't gonna mention this, but it's still fucking me up you know, 12, 13 hours later, um, the visionary Boots Riley put this thing together. It was written and directed, um, by him, uh, stars, uh, Lakeith Stanfield as the main guy's name's Cash and Tessa Thompson. Um, I had no idea that I was walking into what equates to roughly to a, a, a Black Mirror episode produced by Spike Lee. Um, that might even be a little ham-handed in description, but certainly accurate on the black mirror part it's a it's a mind fucked uh except spike lee really couldn't throw a curveball quite like this um it's one of those films you can't talk too much about <laughs> without without giving giving away some essential details you're you're far better off discovering yourself so i'm gonna, I'm gonna walk a thin line here oh it makes me so happy when the coffee's still warm but suffice to say uh the movie's a real mind fuck uh it's based on Lakeith's character Cassius Cash trying to make ends meet by rising up through the telemarketing ladder um at uh the name escapes me right now but it's it's this company this random company to become what's called a, a power caller and of course things aren't at all what they seem once you scale that ladder and uh you begin to alienate yourself from your previous friends and your associates and even causes you you know passionately supported and the higher you go, the darker things get. And uh, it's quite a bit like real life, if, if we're being real about it. And the, the white voice element of it that you see in the trailer, it's hilarious. It's 
really good. It's really well done. And it's good to see Danny Glover as the wise old sage um, showing Cash the way that white people want to sound or believe they should sound, at least according to the movie. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about the, the nasal caricature of the white voice, but the the sound of someone not having a care in the world is how they put it, I think. Um, it's, it's a great scene. You should check the movie out for sure. Um, but that scene where Glover explains the voice as well as what happens as a result, um, it sets the tone for what comes next. But it's a good little, it's a good little bit. Um, you, should, you should see it for sure. So Tessa Thompson, the female um, lead in the movie Detroit, She's goddamn everywhere these days, and uh, generally I'm really not a fan of that. That Smug isn't really, I guess it's smug. I guess that's the word you could use. Um, she's always got plastered on her face. She's, she's like the kid in school who couldn't wait to tell you how much more money her dad makes than your dad or, you know, something like that. But she's perfect for this role. I have to give it to her. She dials back that vibe a lot. Uh, there's a textured performance as Cash's girlfriend, and... She's more than she initially seems to be as Detroit. I'll leave it at that. But uh, it's a great film. It's a mindfuck. I, I just sat there in the theater afterwards for a while. Um, there's a twist element to it. Even that's potentially giving shit away. So I'll just I'll hold my horses and, and keep that to myself. But um, to music, on to music, I've been... Uh, I've been listening to some of the new Jungle tracks that hit over the last few days. They have a, a new record coming up. It's their second record. Um, it comes comes out in September, I think, 19th. There's a track called Heavy California. It's, it's a little bright for my taste. Um, it's not outside their spectrum. It's just very, very beachy. And I don't, I don't listen to Jungle for Beach. No obvious pun intended. But um, Cherry is a track that... You gotta hear. I'll pop it on the end of this um, bit. This this episode. It's a phenomenal song. Uh, it's this minimalistic down tempo groove. That's it's just exactly what I've been looking for. I've been a, a, a huge fan of Jungle since about 2014, when they uh, they released their self self titled album. I've seen them maybe five or six times, mostly at festivals. Um, one of my best festival experiences, one of my best concert experiences ever, just for the sake of how unique it was. It was at Bonnaroo uh, a few years ago. I was out covering for Crave, and uh, I was there with, with my girlfriend, and we were, um, I, th I can't remember if we were rolling or not. I, I, I feel like we were, but I was in the photo pit by myself. Um Actually, no, I think she wasn't there. I was just by myself there. And uh, they didn't kick me out after three songs. And there was some other major act playing somewhere. The, the, the name escapes me of who else was playing. But they were playing in the what tent or something like that. And um, there was a sizable crowd. But being able to go in front of the barricade for the photo pit and having my own space... And being totally alone and not kicked out. So the band was basically playing to me. It was incredible. I took some video of it somewhere. I'll have to find it. But uh, really, just such a phenomenal experience. And that that first record is packed with these classic, excellent tracks of the most like subtle nuance and chill beauty without, without emotional masturbation. Um, it's important. That's a really important element. Uh, something that turns me off from a lot of... Uh, the more down tempo down tempo musicians today it's music that translates live really really well um you've, you've got to see them um 
they've got a world tour coming up. I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, that first record, there's tracks. I mean, there's not there's not a bad track on the entire record. Songs, uh, Busy Earning, Time, The Heat, Drops, Julia. Those are five of my favorites. Four, five, six. I don't know. But they have this uh, this neo-soul classic element that just doesn't ever let go. I, I, I can't get enough of it to this day. It's rare that you don't get tired of a record you play a million times i've been guilty of playing shit to death um my, my closest friends and family know that <laughs> for sure but at its core um jungle as songwriters are, are two guys it's uh josh lloyd watson jay and tom mcfarland t with a, a, assorted players included um and for their sophomore record they stepped out of the the shepherd's bush across the pond um homeland and headed to LA and as so often the case their romanization of the the California dream clashed with the reality of actually living it i can definitely relate to that and uh that feeling of being adrift and in conflict of the heart on the west coast compounded by you know the collapse of these long-term relationships they were in turned into a, a, a very fruitful writing process, apparently. And uh, when they were finished with this initial writing process, they went back to London and uh, they teamed up with this highly regarded producer, um, Inflow. So with him, they tried to create this post-apocalyptic radio station playing breakup songs. Jesus Christ, a leaf just hit the ceiling or hit the windshield and fucking scared the hell out of me. It's a giant leaf. Whew. Anyway, they... Um, they hammered down these these ideas uh, into the core 13 tracks of what would become this new record called Forever. I can't wait to hear the whole thing. I haven't heard it yet. Um, but you definitely should check out what's out there already. They're, they're also heading out on an enormous world tour in September. Uh, it's going to run through March, so you'll get a chance to see them. It's, it's everywhere. They're going to hit a lot of uh, U.S. states. Go to um, junglejunglejungle.com to check out what I'm talking about. And, uh, I'll, yeah, like I said, I'll put Cherry at the end of this so you don't have to contort yourself, but, um, and you can check it out for yourself. But when it comes to down tempo, ethereal, or psychedelic music, Jungle always delivers. And, um, highly recommend checking it out. Their, their first record. So, uh, I've also been spinning, um, a weird little EP between Underworld and Iggy Pop. It's this, this four track collection called Tea Time Dub Encounters. Um, it's out now on Caroline International, but uh, it came together in a hotel. It was a weird, a weird setup. Uh, Underworld's Rick Smith was he was overseeing the soundtrack for the Train Spotting sequel, um, and there was a meeting with Iggy in a hotel room in in London, and uh, they were going to talk about collaborating for the film, and uh, you know they uh, apparently you know Rick overprepared. Because he's like, I've got one chance to convince this guy that we should work together. So he he basically showed up with half his studio in a hotel room and set it up and, you know, waited for Iggy. And so Iggy, I'm going to quote him, he says, When you're confronted with somebody who has a whole bloody studio there in a hotel room, a Skype director who's won the Oscar recently, he's talking about Danny Boyle, and a fucking microphone in front of you and 30 finished pieces of very polished music... You don't want to be the wimp that goes, uh, uh, <laughs> so my mind was racing. And it sounds exactly like that. Um, the first track from, from Tea Time Dub Encounters is called Bells and Circles. And it's, it, it's interesting. It's uh, mostly a matter of fact spoken word over a strong electronic beat. 
Um, I don't imagine myself listening to it much more than that. Uh, Trapped is definitely the best track, but um, like most of them, it's seven and a half minutes long, um, full of lines like Johnny's got a mortgage. You know, it's it's all very weird. But uh, the underworld side of it is damn good. It's uh, it's just. It's strange when Iggy acts as this, you know, spoiled mustard sprayed across white curtains, you know. Uh, for some people, that's exactly what's what's missing from those curtains, I think. <laughs> but um, for other people, maybe not. Uh, there's a, a track called I'll See Big. Uh, it's this wash of ambient sound that uh, f- has Iggy recounting how friends, you know, even dysfunctional friends have saved him from a lifetime of, of bad decisions. And... Um, those are those are the best friends those are the important friends um you know um get your shirt is pretty good too but uh by the time we're there i'm kind of ready for something else already you know i I, uh back to i'll see big i forgot that that the lyrics for that were inspired by a conversation between iggy pop and danny boyle about the subtext of of both the train spotting films so you should check that out there's um there's a couple interviews where they talk about it and it's it's worth reading if you're into uh either artist but um you know i don't know if i'd pay money for this outside of my my spotify membership fee um i don't need the vinyl or anything like that but it's worth checking out if you're a fan for sure um yeah so all right coffee's getting cold uh day's getting started empires are burning bright there's a uh, there's a great Bonnaroo episode that we've already got recorded and, and coming up as well as as well as some other really cool shit on the uh, the immediate horizon. So um, stick around. Thanks for checking us out, subscribing on iTunes and all that goodness. And you sexy bitches have a good day. Thanks for sticking around. i